Oi, oi, I'm Jimmy Bullard and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hi, Bully. Great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. More people have been to the International Space Station than do this job full-time. What? Hi, I'm Joe Marler. And I am Tom Fordyce. And this is Things People Do. Some people do amazing things on this show. We meet zookeepers, politicians, astronauts. And some people who do other things, like supermarket managers, teachers, railway workers. Because everyone is interesting if you ask the right questions. See, I used to hate people, but this podcast has changed me. And now I can't get enough of people and the weird and wonderful things they do. On the underground, there are so many smutty acronyms and words. I'm just like a fat geezer that eats chips pie in the morning and sells things on the market still. Someone's either going to open the door or you might get smurfed. Smurfed? Yeah. What the fuck is smurfed? On the show today... My name is Scott and I'm a hostage negotiator. What point do you think I'd realise it was a kidnapping and not just some night out we were having? Right, so that's what's going on in my brown centre. I never want to hear about your brown centre, please. (laughs) It's the most unregulated, dangerous, ungoverned industry in the world, but it works 93% of the time. Why? I'm excited for this one. I wonder if he's ever dealt with a plane hijack. Or Joe, negotiating with kidnappers. Terrorists? We'll find out. Welcome to Things People Do. Hello, Scott. How you doing? That was going to be my question. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know know what to do. Is he negotiating shit? I thought you might negotiate with him from the word go. Oh. How how good are you? Exactly how good are you? I don't think negotiating a hello is... (laughs) Is our best start, but... Um, <laughs> right, so you're a hostage negotiator. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? How do you, you go about becoming one of them? Well, funnily enough, when I was at school and I saw the careers officer, he didn't say, well, do you want to be a teacher, a pilot or a negotiator? So I kind of stumbled into it. But you have to be interested in people. You have to be really curious about what makes them tick. And so I joined the police... Uh, in my mid-twenties, and then towards the end of my career there, I got an opportunity to go and help resolve some kidnappings that were taking place in London, and it just opened up a whole new world of, of, of hostage negotiation. And then when I left the police, I continued doing that in the private sector. This is going to be a good episode, Joe. I feel slightly like we should disguise our voices to make it like a realistic hostage. That was one of my questions. Was it? But later, how do you disguise your voice? I've no, no, I want to know that. I want to know. I was like, going to go with, do you have like, do you have a normal voice? Well, yeah, you have a normal voice. I've heard it. Is that your normal voice? Might be. At all. negotiating, and, Nancy. Or do you have a negotiating voice? Like Adele, when she pretended to be Adele lookalike. See that one on BBC? Mm. And she pretended to be a nanny. And she was like, I'm going to talk really slow and calmly so the children can understand that the world does make sense. It's not like when I used to listen to my nan who put a telephone voice on and then she would speak differently (laughs) in real life. Uh, It's not like that at all. And usually when I'm overseas on a case, I would get somebody else to actually do the, the actual talking with the kidnappers. Because if I rock up in... West Africa and start speaking to some local kidnappers, they're going to think, what's going on here? Who's, who's this guy? And, and that's going to automatically raise the profile and the perception of value of the hostages. And if you were doing one in the UK mm-hmm. and your voice and your background didn't matter so much, I would guess it's all about calmness. It's about calmness. Is it about neutrality in your voice or do you have to challenge at points? Yeah, again, in the UK... One of the first things that kidnappers will say is to the family usually is don't get the old bill involved. Don't get the police involved because if you do, we'll kill the hostage. And so we, again, we would, you know, advise and script and train and coach maybe a family member to get on the phone to speak to the kidnappers. We don't want it to sound too professional and too calm because in reality, if your loved one has been taken, 
you're going to be emotional, you're going to be uh, highly strung, you're going to be frustrated, you're going to be upset. So we want to bring a bit of that in. Um, but really, my calmness, my ability to come from a place of equanimity, I guess, is oh, with... Do we need a definition just here? Just need a little pause on that one. <laughs> equanimity, Tom? And it's just... Ah! What? Has he got you? No, but I'm... A, I'm... <laughs> If you want a dictionary definition, look at a dictionary, but equanimity is a sense of calm. Scott? That's it. It's, yep. it's about when, when I walk in the room to the family, in the family kitchen or the company head office, it's about exuding a sense of certainty that you know what you're doing and credibility, calmness, and actually this is going to turn out okay in the end. And that's really what you want to try and convey. It's already a calming influence I'm on feeling, the room, isn't I'm it? I'm feeling calmer than I was before we started recording. You can, do you want... What do you want? Do you want something from me? Do you want... Okay, I don't know. I'll, a a million lot. dollars? Right, fuck, I can't do that. That no. was a bit Dr. Right. Evil. I feel like saying, look, inflation has meant that you can probably ask for $50 million. <laughs> <laughs> do you special... Are there different areas that you can specialise in in terms of hostage negotiating? Well, normally you'll get things like... Express kidnaps, which is essentially a bit like a street robbery where they'll take somebody off the street to the local cash point. They'll get them to it, take all the money they can out for that day, hold them till after midnight, and then they'll get the same again the next day and they'll release them. That usually happens in like a Latin American theme there. And in different parts of the world, you'll get different styles of kidnappings in terms of how long it, it takes place. But then maybe off the west coast of Africa or, or of Somalia, you get the piracy cases. But then across the Middle East and, and other parts of North Africa, it will be your long-term, let's call it standard, kidnapping where people could be taken for weeks, months or, or even longer. Longer than months? Yes, occasionally it will go for years, but they generally, the political type prisons, you know, that we've seen some quite high-profile cases over the last 10, 20 years or so. Maybe like Colombia and, and now also in the Middle East. I've just looked up the longest kidnapping in history on record. And it says here, the Iranians held the American diplomats hostage for 444 days. Terry, yep. Terry Waite and John McCarthy. Yeah, were they were about that. five years or so, I think. Oh, who? Terry Waite. He was the envoy for the mm -hmm. Archbishop of Canterbury. That's right. So they got kidnapped, and John McCarthy was an Irish journalist, and they got kidnapped in Beirut in the, the early 80s. 80s yeah. yeah, Five years? Most of which was held in solitary confinement. And if you read his book, Taken on Trust, it's a great example to all of us of no matter what crisis or challenge or issue you're faced with, you can do what you like to your body, but in your mind, you control your mind. You control how you interpret things, how, what you give meaning to, what you believe. And then that then creates your reality, creates the emotions that you feel. There's so much to get into here, Joe. So that quick Google search was dog shit then. <laughs> so that's lied to me. Five years is, is the answer to that one for me. Who's getting kidnapped in Britain? How does that work? It used to be, or still, still is, I think, criminals kidnapping other criminals. Oh. We used to call it bad on bad. You know, drug dealers gets it ripped off or there's a lack of respect and they'll take maybe the a family member of another drug dealer. Very rarely, very, very rarely, I don't even know of a case where average Joe walking down the street and they're suddenly kidnapped for no apparent reason. Yes, they may, you know, high-profile celebs or, or rich people may get targeted, but for the average person in the street, it, it doesn't really happen. So with the bad on bad, are you mm. not inclined to sometimes just go, well, whatever, let them be? I'd love to say, yes, it was like, well, you crack on, boys, you sort out amongst <laughs> yourselves, and invariably they would sort it out themselves afterwards. But um, I, I guess it was even more of a, a professional challenge because if we can get, one of the, let's say, another criminal back to safety, it means that we're good at what we do. And it's about suspending that judgment. Because if I start passing judgment on, well, you're worthy of a negotiation, but you're not, it kind of doesn't, oh. doesn't really work long term, really. So we're happy to help the baddies. Plus, I'd probably go to prison for misconduct in a public office. We don't I, want if, that. If I, did, if I did at the time. No, we don't want that. We don't so, want that. Shall I kidnap you? Shall we do a little I bit of role play? Shall who's I kidnap more valuable, you? like you or me? Assets. Yeah, or just in terms of, I mean, profile. If I'm kidnapping you for profile... It's probably more like to get in the papers that England rugby player Joe Marler has been kidnapped. Do I want that in the papers or do I want to keep it quiet, Scott? You want to keep that quiet. So, right, so Joe is better off so kidnapping, I'm kidnapping me. you. And that's easier as well. 
Because more like, of the space. I can just stuff you in my rucksack. I'm not eating as much, am I? No, like, I'm... Fuck's sake. So I've nicked Tom. Mm -hmm. And I'm then asking for £50 million <gasps> in lira. <laughs> uh, what's that equivalent? Anyway. Three shipping containers worth. Yeah. Okay, so 50 mil in lira or he's dead. Is that a good Who you're asking... You're asking the family? You're asking the Would they be that company, bothered? Or? They'd be bothered, but they, the secondary point is, would they have access to £50 million in there? That would think would be the issue. They'd be bothered, would they have the means? They'd definitely be bothered. Some of them. Less here's here's the thing, though. The, the first question I ask the family or the company is, what are you willing and able to pay? Do so, you? So you, you, it could be the demand is for a million, a million dollars, but if it's a poor family, you could probably get 10000 together or 5000 together. It, the, the, the kidnappers can threaten all they like, but they're not going to get it. They can only get what the company or the family are willing and able to pay. And, it, and just because somebody's worth 10 million, that could all be tied up in a company or share options or property, and that can take months to, to liquidate. And so that helps us in the negotiation to go, well, actually, kidnappers, we can't get you a million, but what we can do is we can give you 30, 40, 50,000 this week. And that's cash on a table in a room somewhere that's going to get put into a bag and it's going to be dropped off somewhere. Right. So I've bunged Tom in my bag. Mm -hmm. I've taken him to my den. Mm -hmm. And have I, I got a, like a gag in my mouth? Like, have I recognized you as Joe? Yeah. You know, you know it's me because okay. I've just come up to you and gone, Oi, you're getting in my bag. <laughs> what point do you think I'd realise it was a kidnapping and not just some night out we were having? Well, after the third day when I haven't given you any food or water. Yeah. Okay? Oi, shut it. You're in the bag. He's in my den. I'm calling his family. I want 50 million lira or he's getting it. Who calls you? Because surely his family would then just go, oh, shit, we've got to call the police because I've put on a voice so they don't know it's me. I've got... Oh, you've got... Fuck, what's that voice then? So you've done one of the voices you've done frequently on the podcast. Have I? <laughs> okay, yeah. So the voice recognition will go, hey, it's yeah. Joe. All right, okay. Hello. <laughs> Again. What I, about... would, I would like <clears throat> to inform you, I have stolen your son, <laughs> and he is now in my den, and he is in my possession. I would like 50 million pounds. Pathetic. But in lira. Or he getting it. <laughs> and they go, oh shit, oh no, Thomas, he's been fucking kidnapped. Oh my God, they're asking for this. They got him in Sri Lanka. They, they call him and they call the police, do they? If, was, if, this, if it was in this country, yeah. And the, and the police would get involved. If it was overseas, probably not the police. It would be through an insurance company because people who travel in these parts of the world, if you're going to travel overseas to a high-risk area, you're probably going to take out some, just like you would car insurance or travel insurance, you take out some kidnap insurance. There's a kidnap insurance? Yeah, special risks, it's called. How much is it? It depends on what premium, what you want to be insured for. There's kidnap insurance? It's a multi-billion dollar industry. So Tom takes out an insurance premium that's worth, I don't know, it's, got a, it's worth a million dollars. Or 50 million in lira. Yeah, okay. And um, <laughs> you get taken and then kidnappers would phone, would go through your phone, probably phone a family member, or your company would probably realise you're missing because you haven't checked in or whatever. Nah, not really. Um, and then eventually it will come through to a call centre, like you would your car insurance or house insurance, and I'd get the phone call going, Tom's, this guy Tom, he's been kidnapped, we've had this demand... I jump on a plane or jump on the phone and come sit with your family or the company and then wait for the call from the kidnappers again and we put together, what are we going to say, blah, blah, blah. There are so many cliches, Joe, that we are both familiar with from films and TV shows about kidnapping. One of them, Scott, is the first 24 hours are the most important. True or false? True, because if you can get... It's that hurry up and wait, which sounds a bit you know, counterintuitive, but we want to move quickly, very quickly in those first 24 hours. We want to be able to control the communications. We want to shut down the, the descent that the kidnappers will try and, uh, you know, the divide and conquer type approach. Um, so we want to try and streamline it into a single communication. We want to get like a little team together 
some family members or the company and going, right, we're going to buy a little decision-making team and then we're going to get ourselves in a good position so when the phone call does come in, we're all good. And I've kind of gone through the likely threats and the demands and how this is usually going to pan out. So by the time that first call comes in, maybe 24 hours, 48, a week later, everybody's on board, everybody knows what's going to happen and you can resolve it better rather than trying to play catch-up well, you know, they've already spoken to three people and they've all promised them different amounts of money and it's just a nightmare to try and get back into the, get the cat back in the bag, so to speak. I thought rule number one of hostage negotiation is never give them what they want. That's right. Oh, that is right. Yeah. Oh, good, I should watch more films. But do you ever give them what they want? Nope. If, they, if say, say the ransom was actually 50 grand and the family can pay 50 grand, do you ever go, well, if you've got 50k, just chuck it in? The danger, if we pay that 50 grand straight away... Well, you tell me, what do you think is? So so the, the demand is 50 grand for Tom. Oh, it's dropped considerably, hasn't it? Is. it? More realistic. No, 50 million lira, <laughs> that is about 50 grand, isn't it? Okay, we've got 50 grand. Let's pay it. What do you think of the challenges? Well, it's just are? straight away the kidnappers going, oh, fuck that one up, because that was a bit easy. So then they go and tell you what I'm going to keep and give us another 50. You just undervalued them, haven't you? That, that's exactly so it. So like they'd probably do it again. Well, this, this is it. It's like when you, you're in a negotiation with anything, could be buying a car or a house, and somebody really quickly agrees to your deal, you're like, oh, I could have asked for more. And so if we pay that money straight away, the kidnappers, as you said, are going to go, oh, well, thanks for the down payment, and we're going to kidnap, we're going to keep hostage the courier who's dropped the money off. <sighs> so now we've got two hostages. Doubled up. The, the family have lost... Um, the money they had, we call it doubling, and it does happen, but not if you spend those first 24 hours implementing a bit of discipline into your communications. You've got to have a plan for what you're going to say. And so what we call it squeezing the orange. We want the kidnappers, the hostage takers, to think that they've got every last bit of money out of the family or the company, or there's no more money coming. Because if you think there's more money on the table in a business deal, you're going to hold out for more. Next cliche from me, Joe. The demand, Scott if we go back 40 years, is coming on a piece of paper with letters cut out from a newspaper. <laughs> um, if it's an audio one, it's done using an old-fashioned telephone with a handkerchief held across the mouthpiece. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've... Um, Never come across them once. Uh, funnily enough, no? I, I, I have, we have one case where there's a handwritten letter and there was a thumbprint with a bit of blood and uh, of the hostage just to prove a bit of a DNA check, proof of life, essentially and the handwriting analysis. So we did have that. But no, it's, um, it's usually just a phone call, plain and simple. So that, that proof of life thing yep. is a genuine thing. You have to go, well, hang on, how do we know you've got it? Be before we make any offer for the 50 grand, say, before we even enter that, we go, well, we want to know Tom's alive and well. And you're the people who've got him. Because sometimes you get... <gasps> You get, you get shysters who go, oh, I've heard that Tom's been kidnapped. We'll pretend to be the kidnappers. We'll phone the family or the company and say, yeah, yeah, we've got Tom. If you pay us, if you transfer, you drop off the money here, we'll release him. But actually, they're not the ones who are holding you. That's the smart move, Joe, isn't it? Why bother with the hassle of a kidnap? Be the middleman. Just, well, not even be the middleman, be a completely different man. Oh. Just piggyback on someone else's hard-earned kidnapping. Like, rather than you having to kidnap me in your bag... Not feeble Yeah, but that enough. wasn't that hard. Okay. <laughs> Rather than easily imprisoning me in a backpack and then taking me to your house... Just don't do any of that and just be on, like, radio waves waiting for a kidnap to happen. And then and dive then you in. Go, Oi, that's me. Yeah. And because of my, you know, wide range of accents, <laughs> I'll be able to immediately copy whoever it is, won't I? Hello. <laughs> what about also proof of life? Do you insist on... Or do they ever insist on holding a newspaper with the t the date on as well? With a gun to the head of the, uh, well, yeah, the, like, the hey, picture. We have got you, motherfucker. A phone call would be better, would be best, oh. with someone who knows them. But we do have pictures, you can get videos, I've had them all. But a live interaction is better than just a picture, because it could be faked. And also pictures only valid for when it was taken. You don't know if they're still alive after the picture was taken. Or if we can't do that, we'll ask a question, a proof of life question that only the, um, the hostage is going to know the answer to. So the kidnappers couldn't Google or Facebook the hostage and find the answer out. So it's, you know, what was, it, what was the colour of your very first car or your pet's name or, or whatever that only the hostage is going to know. Goal number one 
of hostage negotiating. What are you being, what is, you go into that situation, you go, this is my goal for today. I've got to bring order out of chaos, which is why I call the book that. Seriously, because it, there's so much chaos and confusion and uncertainty and high emotion. And it's, okay, let's just bring a bit of order. Let's bring some calm to whatever it is. And it is no different than if you're dealing with your kids, spouse, ego-driven boss, whatever. It's, okay, let's just try and bring a bit of rationality into this, objectivity into this. Even though we are, you know, we're emotional creatures. We're emotional creatures that think, not thinking creatures that feel. And so we make those decisions and we try and justify them rationally afterwards. But we need to try and bring those emotions into a nice, calm, balanced place before. So it's not getting the person back alive then? Well, that is the, that is the primary <laughs> objective, the safe and time of the release, absolutely. But that's a given. So in that situation, Scott, where you are trying to bring order from the chaos, everyone in that situation is under massive stress. Mm. The people whose relative or loved one it is who's been kidnapped, how do you stay calm in that situation? Because you are also under massive stress because those people who are terrified are looking to you to solve it. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's another golden rule is of any kind of negotiation is it's not about you. It's, it's about the other side. It's about the other person. It's first seek to understand. And I remember in my very first kidnap negotiation, it was almost the shortest career ever because I was getting really frustrated. The family weren't doing what I wanted them to do. They weren't following my instructions about how to negotiate the release of their loved one to the point where I was getting really angry, like really quite frustrated because I was making it all about me as to why aren't they understanding me? And then there was that, a hand on my shoulder by my colleague, a far more experienced negotiator, that little tiny little squeeze, and, and which interrupted my pattern, which allowed me to calm down. And I took a step back, and he came came in and just gave me a masterclass on how to, you know, calm people down, how to reassure them, how to make people feel seen, heard, and understood. But that starts with yourself. It starts with being able to control your own and regulate your own emotions. Scott, do you follow the behavioural change stairway? I'm aware of that behavioural change stairway. Uh, brought about by the, or introduced by the FBI several decades ago. Tom, do you know much about the behavioural change stairway? Joe, you clearly do. Instinctively, tell me more. Bet your bottom dollar I do. Just fucking Googled it. <laughs> Every day's a school day, huh? Uh, so, are these right? At the start, so it's got, a, it's got a chart here. So we've got active listening, empathy, rapport, influence and behavioural change. Is that, is that right? Does that look like something you'd follow? Yep, and you can apply that to every and any form of communication. And so what that means is, ultimately, there should be another step there, really, which is cooperation and collaboration. So every time you're negotiating with anybody, rather than it's like, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to win this at all costs, it's how can we bring about some kind of cooperation or collaboration? And what happens is most people rush to the problem-solving and the solution-finding rather than spending the time, because you need to earn the right, you need to earn the trust to start influencing and persuading. And that starts with the active listening. And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, I know about active listening, but not many people really practice it properly. Uh, and what that is, that'll be some techniques like uh, emotional labeling. So it's for me to identify and reflect back to you the emotions that you're experiencing. If a loved one of yours has been taken and you're you know, highly irate and emotional and upset, I might go, you know, hey, it looks like or sounds like or it feels like that you're really upset or you're frustrated about this deal or the, what's happened. And so if I can label the emotion or the behaviour, again, that enables you to feel seen, heard and understood. Or it could be paraphrasing or summarising back, particularly if somebody's spoken for a long period of time, it could be, well, let me just make sure I've heard you correctly here and then you summarise what they've said. But the whole thing with all these techniques, they're not meant to be a tick box, done that, move on. Context matters and you've got to be congruent, authentic with what you're doing. Otherwise, people can see what you're trying to do. you just got a bit of some ninja <laughs> technique where actually, if you're just generally curious about somebody or situation, you're going to naturally do this anyway. But there's a process where you've got to, as I said, earn the right to start influencing and persuading and bringing about some kind of cooperation. This episode was sponsored by The Slayer, Vicky Lul. 
to be more like Vicky, go to patreon.com forward slash things people do. Become an official sponsor, get bonus content and grow the show today. Right, those were the ads. Scott, ever had a drop-off in a bin? Yes. Oh, I, was, I wasn't expecting a yes, but this is good. By the side of the road and underneath the rock, uh, or behind a rock, I should say. But it's not really like the movies where you're in the middle of the bridge, you're there with a bag, and the hostage walks towards you and you're handed over. You've got to be careful the snipers don't take you out and all that kind of stuff. It's not really like that. Normally what happens is... You will take the money somewhere, somewhere in the world. Always cash? Yep. I've heard of a couple of cases where they'll use payment apps, but really they just want cash, old school cash. What do you mean payment apps? Like like, touch or contact them? Yeah, you could just Just bring your card. Transfer money on an app or whatever. Okay, yeah, fair Um, enough, yeah. But they could be tracked, I guess. So with cash, you drop it off and then it'll be either hours, days, or sometimes occasionally weeks before the hostages come back. Which is why it's important, I mentioned earlier, about you've got to build that trust between you and the kidnappers. So there's no doubt that when you hand this money over, even though there's no guarantees, you've demonstrated trust over those days and weeks of negotiating that they're going to hand the hostages back safely. Because you could think, in, in theory, they'll take the money and run, kill the hostages. But here's the thing, there's a 93% chance of the hostages coming back through a negotiation. It's the most unregulated, dangerous, ungoverned industry in the world, but it works 93% of the time. Why? Because it makes good business sense for everybody. It's almost, it self-regulates, if you think about it. The kidnappers get paid, you get professional negotiators who come in who prevent obscenely high ransoms being paid, and... As I said, 93% chance of people coming back. So the, the chances of it ending successfully are high. I thought, like, kidnappers might... On the flip of it earlier when we spoke about never agree to what they're, they're asking for, not, as, not quickly anyway, I thought the kidnappers, by doing handing over the hostages every time, or 93% of the time, that they're actually then devaluing their power as a threat of... Well, if you're always going to do it once we negotiate the situation, surely sometimes they've got a... Excuse the pun... It's not a pun. Pull the trigger. <gasps> well, it's in the interest of the kidnappers to look after and release the hostages because next time they do it, I'm going to have trust in them because sometimes you see the same gang come time and time yeah. again in parts of the world. And also they'll get a reputation in the area of, yeah, okay, they may take people, but every single time they treat them well, they feed them, they look after them, they get paid a, a reasonable but not obscenely high amount of money and then they drop them off safely Afterwards, So it's like effectively a business transaction. Now, if you're the family of that person or the hostage themselves, it's not the most comfortable or pleasant of experiences, but it ultimately is a business transaction. Fuck, I'm just, I don't know about you, Tom, but I'm blown away by the sentence you said a minute ago that ended with industry, that it's termed the kidnapping what is actually an industry as a business. Now, I've got like a stereotype in my head, mainly from Man on Fire, yep. one of my favourite films, Denzel, of Latin America. Yep. This being like a daily occurrence and it's actually just another it's another industry like you just described. It's more akin to, uh, what's the film? Proof of Life with Russell Crowe and Meg Ryan. You've seen that film? Yeah, okay, I appreciate there's helicopter gunships and he has an affair with the hostage's wife, but that doesn't happen. Blah, 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 yeah. But apart apart from that, um, the rest of it is where you fly in and you've got a few people trying to have you over, trying to make a quick buck. We call it the crisis within the crisis, where dealing with the kidnappers is relatively straightforward. Dealing with your own side, dealing with the family and the business or the company with the egos, the internal politics, the resentment, the family feuds, the competing priorities, that's where the fun and games really is. And I have to stay switched on, on the ball, a sense of sensory acuity of what's going on, who's, who's doing what. That's where the challenge is and that's where you kind of earn your, earn your money really, working with them and controlling them. Kidnappers, relatively easy. Didn't expect that answer, Joe. No, and the cynic in me now wants to ask you, what's to stop you and other negotiators teaming up with kidnappers? Inside job. And just going, well, this is part of the industry, so we know that the 
media fanfare, family issues, the, your te- the other members of your team, whatever, that create issues. But actually, you're in on it, and at the end of it, we know we'll go back and forth jousting, but at the end of it, you just give me 5%, because I'm going to make sure you get what you want, and I'll get what I want at the end of it. Uh, it's something called life imprisonment, which really doesn't... <laughs> Which, which doesn't really appeal to me. The leverage there is uh, yeah, that's pretty that probably would do it. So or, if I upped it to seven <laughs> percent, or, or, or execution by firing squad in some parts of the world. So hey, I, I'm I'm good. Just wanted to test your integrity. Yeah, I just it's wanted non-negotiable, to... my right. friend. <laughs> in all seriousness, how do you decide your fee? Because I've put down in my notes here. Like, do you like a football agent? Do you take a percentage of the overall deal, or are you a fixed? Amount. I've got to earn the trust of the family, and if my the, the money I'm getting is indicative of Actually, where we end point. up, they're going to go. You're only holding this out so you can get paid more, or you're only trying to reduce this, or whatever. So if you, you leave it another week, honestly, I might... could get a f- extra fifty k <laughs> on this. Just leave it a week. I know I've spoke. You're good. If we say a week, I'll give you an extra five. Bum it. But yeah, okay. But, but when that you th- doesn't happen. Then. It, it doesn't because right. when you think about it, it's such a small industry, and we got told on when I first started doing doing this is that more people have been to the International Space Station than do this job full time. What? That a tier one professional kidnap for ransom negotiators. There's not that many. So if you if you start, you know, shafting the system, so to speak, you'll get caught out and you'd be ostracised and you wouldn't be able to work because people wouldn't know what you're trying to do. And yeah, so you've got to play straight bat, I think is the metaphor. Scott, without naming names, obviously we're not going to put you under that, but can you talk about some of the the most difficult situations you've found yourself in in terms of hostage negotiation? Yeah, um, well, on every case there's an NDA, non-disclosure agreement, signed. So uh, I think that's why in the book I, I kind of amalgamate some of the case studies and went through about five different levels of lawyer to, to get it signed off. But but essentially the cases where, as I said, it's on your own side, where, you know, you, you're hundreds or thousands of miles away from home, you're sat there, nobody hears anything for days or weeks. And so the tension is building. You're sat there at the table, you're using the communicator. There's one case that, that I use, which is a good example of all of this. I've used it a few times, but it's a really good example. I was in, I was in West Africa. We hadn't heard anything for about a week. And I'm just sat there. It was hot and sweaty and everyone's getting a bit stressed. And I stand up and I walk to get it, put myself a coffee. I'm in the, I'm in the conference room where we, we're running the negotiations from. And in walks the communicator. And he's a, he's a towering man mountain of a giant and it's like why do they why do they not call why do the kidnappers not call us i said they'll call when they're ready and then we go and sit down and the phone rings as if the universe is listening and everybody jumps including myself even though i've done it hundreds of times and then he's engaging with them it's like okay so hi we're here you know please and uh, they go okay we want five million dollars or we're going to kill the hostages and then the call hangs up and then you can hear a pin drop and everybody's looking at you going, well, what do we do now? But because of those 24 hours we've spent planning it, we now know what we need to do. And so the communicator I'm using, uh, Mr. John, he'll, um, he starts negotiating with them. And so we get the five million down to about half a million over the course of a few days. But it takes its toll on them. And it takes its toll on a lot of the communicators because they're, they're getting the threats against them and their families. They're getting the, the mock executions on the phone. And so it takes the toll on, on, on them. And then at one point, he turns around on one call and says, uh, please, you need to look after my friends. Because these are my friends you've taken. You know, six people are taken hostage. And the kidnappers just turn around and go, no, they're your responsibility. You pay the money or they're going to die. And then the, the communicator, Mr. John, just smashes his fist down on the table and turns to me and goes, how can you sit there so calmly when my friends are going to die? And I think his fist is going to come towards me in a second. So I stand up and he walks out. And so now I've got to bring all my skills. Forget the kidnappers, they're in a good place. We've got them down where we want them to be. They're not going anywhere because they can sense a payday coming soon. I need to work with Mr. John here to get him back on board because if he messes this up, He's the link to, to getting them back. We're, we're screwed. And so 24, 48 hours, I'm just sitting with him, reassuring him, reducing his anxiety, stress and overwhelm, making him feel seen, heard and understood, going up that behavioural change stairway, essentially balancing out that nervous system so he can engage in a rational, objective mindset and, and also take a bit of ownership and responsibility for, for what's going on for him. So he, he comes back in and um, 
yeah, we close the deal a couple of days later. But then the fun really begins. It's like, okay, well, we've gone from 5 million demand down to about $300,000. We need to get this cash to the kidnappers from one border, so across the border from one country to the next, without the police or the authorities from finding out. So we find a courier who puts the money in a bag, a couple of bags actually, takes them on his way, and he's supposed to phone in every couple of hours, every four hours or so, to check in. They think it's on track because the kidnappers are phoning us, going, well, is he en route? Because they don't want to be ripped off or ambushed. Four hours go by, nothing. Eight hours go by, nothing. And I'm thinking, oh, you can see where this is going. And then about 12 hours later, 13 hours later, I get a call. He's been interdicted, arrested by the local police who've got wind of this, who are refusing to let him go. Cut long story short, we managed to get him released and most of the money local taxes and everything. What, from the police? In this country, yeah. What, they go, well, we'll have a bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this happens quite a lot in parts of the world. Meanwhile, the kidnappers are going apoplectic, thinking they're going to get ripped off. And so we think, okay, courier, on your way, keep going. But he wants nothing more to do with it, and he legs it. So now I'm thinking, oh... God, this is just unravelling. So Gabe, I need to keep my cool, my calm here. So we find another courier who takes the money, gets on a boat, goes out to sea. And this is one of those rare simultaneous swaps, really, where the, 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 the pirates come out with their boat, count the money, hand the hostages over, and then they turn around. This is great customer service. And they say, OK, well, we're going to escort you back to safety now to make sure you don't get ambushed by any of the criminal gangs or the local police. And here's a clean mobile phone and a number. If you get into trouble between now when you get back That's to safety, nice, isn't it? give us a call and we'll <laughs> nice come touch. and rescue you. <laughs> you could, it's better than John Lewis. It's <laughs> fucking brilliant. I'd work with him again. Yeah. Well, 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 we, well, well we, did, we, yeah, yeah, we I did actually. That, I used that phone, called him up again, said, yeah. I've got another one you can come you and do. You get loyalty car, like you get coffee. No, we do so anyway, that, that was like an amalgamation of a couple of things, but that is just has everything in it in terms of the challenges that you've faced. Every time you said courier, yep. I just thought DP, Yodel, or uh, every okay. driver. It, it, it's some very courageous soul who is going to go into uncharted, dangerous territory and hand over money to some dangerous people. And unlike an ordinary courier, they don't just leave you on the bin. Or, or put a card. Yeah. Leave it with a knock over the fence. There you go, mate. That's fine. This episode is sponsored by the following absolutely superb people. You're the wizard, Harry. Oxley. Ian Ferrero Rocha. Running up that road, running up that gill. It's AJ Gill. The Lioness. Rachel Williamson. Quickly, Kevin. Roberts. That groundsman, Terry Cash. Get which delicy or diet trying. Elementary Watson. It's Jack Holmes. The strikers, Andy Cole and Dave Owen. Sweet Caroline. Harris. Frankie Hughes says, relax. And the Bishop, William Pope. To be more like all of them, go to patreon.com forward slash things people do. Become an official sponsor. Get bonus content and grow the show today. What about situations that haven't gone to plan? Thankfully, all the ones I've been personally involved in have worked out okay. I'm aware of other ones where they were never going to get back. They've been taken by terrorists, for example, and they're in the orange jumpsuit on a YouTube video, and you just know full well, if we're negotiating, we're just trying to buy some time, either for a rescue attempt or for them to escape or release. But by and large, as I said, it's such a high success rate, it rarely touch wood apart from the example I gave, but that doesn't really, that's not going wrong. It's just another obstacle you need to navigate as opposed to people not coming back. And people, that 7% will be either they get killed in the, in the ambush, get an illness and die in captivity, or they'll try and escape and get hurt that way. Or actually a hostage rescue is, is extremely dangerous and usually somebody will, will not be coming back from a hostage rescue attempt. Is your stomach making yeah, inappropriate noises? Yeah. <laughs> You'd be no good as a hostage no. for days without food. <laughs> I'm starving. So Scott is telling us all about how he negotiates. <laughs> You're just thinking about food. No, I'm engaging. I'm doing some active listening here, Tom. Mm-hmm. But I'm really struggling to not think about a BLT. <laughs> Fuck. I'm trying to put myself in the kidnapped 
position. I was actively listening to your stomach making a lot of noises there. That's what's happening. <laughs> right, so that's what's going on in my brown centre. I never want to hear about your brown centre, please. <laughs> but the, So that's my brown centre. What is a red centre? Is that anything ah, to do with... Nice segue there. Good, wasn't it? It's very good. You've done this before. <laughs> okay, a red centre is, uh, particularly in law enforcement terms... It's the physical location where the phone calls from the kidnappers are coming into. So it could be somebody's, it could be a family kitchen, it could be a hotel room. Um, and so that's where, when I was in the police, we would race to, to get to the family member who's got the phone, who's receiving the calls, and that, then wherever we were was the, was the red centre. That's where the hub of the negotiations would take place. But over many years of doing this and hundreds of cases, I've realised actually we've got our own version of the red centre within us. You know, it's that place where no matter what happens, it's that place of strength and of resilience where no matter what shows up in our life, we can overcome it. You know, that, you know, that toolkit you've got, we've all got within us. If we just reframe the meaning, we can overcome anything, really. And it's, that's where you get your motivation, your drive, as I said, the resilience, the perseverance to deal with whatever comes your way, really. What's the single most important bit of equipment? Because I can imagine a situation, like this is the way that the humans work, where you've done all the planning, et cetera, et cetera, you know exactly what you're doing, you've established a line with the hostage takers, and then suddenly realise that no one's got a phone charger for the phone they're calling you on. That wouldn't be the first time. Oh. Um, I, th I think it's... You've got to have the phone. It's got to be charged, obviously. But I remember... <laughs> it goes without saying. But then the kid... Down to 12%. <laughs> Who's got the charger? Oh, it's the wrong one. Um, or it's a power cut. But the kidnappers would still get hold of you another way. But for me, I remember there was a case where it was in the UK... Guy got taken, we're working with his brother, he was receiving the phone calls, he went into the hotel suite at a, at a central London hotel, and we walk in and he's like, you're joking, what, what, what's going on? Where's all the monitors and the satellite feeds and stuff? And I was like, mate, no, that's not how it works. Sit down. And I got out, I got a pen, <laughs> I've got the mobile, I've got a mobile phone and a recording device and a pad of post-it notes. I said, it's these that are gonna get your brother back. A, we Is that only because you can't afford uh, the satellite dishes yeah. and all that like? And if you actually had them, it would be a lot easier? You know, all the kind of uh, cost-cutting and everything. <laughs> a, you want to record the calls so you can play them back. Because as you can imagine, the quality's not always great. Uh, and the post-it notes would be for me to write notes to prompt the communicator about what to say. Oh, so that bit happens, like in the film, when you go, tell him this. So you're listening into it. Yeah, yeah. You go, well, say that, say this. Yeah, line, and the most, you know, what, do you guess what the most frequent, commonest word I would write on uh, a piece of paper? Keep talking. The. Breathe. What, say it? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, because he's not, he's been in the room. Breathe. Bre bre you're there going, <laughs> negotiate. The kidnappers are going, have you got the 50 million lira yet? And then the family member just goes, breathe. Wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, would it? Breathe. But would you, at what point do you get fucked off as the kidnapper? You go, why the fuck are you telling me to breathe? <laughs> you mean they need to breathe, they yeah, need to calm Because down. when people get stressed, you, you watch it, people tense up, they hold their breath, and they talk until they run out of air, and then they have to start again. And so it's like, hey, just breathe, calm down. And sometimes you have to physically touch someone's arm or shoulder just to kind of, because they can get tunnel vision as well. You know, it's like you're, you get really wrapped up in a conversation and you get a distorted vision and you can kind of get carried away. So it's about being able to step back, you know, get that 30,000 view, which is why you always, in any kind of business negotiation, for example, it's one person on your team who's present their job is just to observe because then they can spot the body language, the nuances, what's not said, the energy shifts. Because that's all valuable information to go, well, actually, they're saying that, but their body language and their energy is suggesting something else. But if you're immersed in it, you're not going to spot that. So having an observer, a spotter, so to speak, is invaluable. What about planes? Have you ever been involved in a, a plane hijack? Briefly, there was one a few years ago. I think it was an, it was, yeah, it was an Egyptian air plane, uh, aircraft that got taken. But with stuff like that, the authorities get involved really quickly and the governments get involved. So it was one of our clients who were on board the plane. So I didn't really have much of an involvement apart from getting ready to, to get involved, so to speak. Surely uh, that's got to be up there with one of the, the trickiest hostage situations. It can be, but it's easy to get lost in the, 
in the noise of it all. You get blinded, but oh, this is a plane hijacking or it's this or that or whatever. Actually, you've got human beings who've got certain needs, wants, and you've just got to identify what they are and you've got to communicate in such a way that everybody feels as if they've got a reasonable deal here as much as possible. That's what it is. But that's why you can get distracted and emotions can, can take over. You think, this is such a big thing. How am I going to deal with this? Well, actually, they're just another human being. And we all operate very, very similarly. What if you are speaking to a hostage taker and you are trying to establish that, exactly that, that human rapport, do you almost do a strange type of hostage negotiation small talk? Like what we do pre-show. Yeah. Like you do, you go through your geography chat with... Because that's how my brain works. I did it with you, Scott. Just my brain always goes, where's someone from? Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I'm a family member and I've got Scott over, Sam, mate, coming out, get my son back, will you? And he goes, yeah, I'm on it. Brilliant. Gets out his pad, his pen, and I'll start raising eyebrows there and then gets out a phone. Then I'll be like, okay, and he'll call it. He does know what he's doing. And then he picks up the phone, speaks to the hostage fuckers, picks up the phone. (laughs) Don't call them hostage fuckers, number one rule of negotiation. (laughs) Picks up the phone, speaks to the kidnappers and goes, oh, hello, mate. How are you getting on? Yeah, what's your name? Oh, yeah. Nice. You got any, like, what's your interests? If that was the first opening thing, Scott, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing here, Scott? Yeah, there's this thing where people think that you've got to find some link of commonality or small talk. And depending on the context, that can work. But in a negotiation, like hostages or whatever, I'm not going to go, you know, what what football team do you support? Oh, yeah, yeah, me too, I'm from there or whatever. So that's not going to work. But what does work is if, as, as I said before, is if people feel as if the other person gets them. And that's particularly powerful if we disagree or we've got nothing in common. And so if we're disagreeing on something, yeah, I can still make you feel as if I understand where you're coming from, your point of view. You're more likely to be open and receptive to my suggestions and how I want this to pan out. And never underestimate the, the likability factor as well. We all like to do business and continue talk with people who we genuinely like that experience of communicating them with. You've got a call at two. I have. Is that one of the calls? <sighs> Might be. Fuck. Just, can we listen? <laughs> can, we, can we help out, Scott? Do you want a bit of help from me, Joe? <laughs> yeah, if you give me a BLT and a cup of tea, yeah, that'd be great. reference the fact that Scott has to go at two o'clock. Um, I was hoping we could negotiate with him that he could stay till five past. <laughs> Scott's got bigger fish to fry. Than you and I. Yeah, no, you have indeed. Uh, but before you do go, you've mentioned your book a couple of times. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? After doing this for a number of years, I just thought there's so much crossover and relevance for business and life generally. I just started capturing a couple of ideas and themes and patterns that I was noticing. What were the people and the teams that succeeded in these negotiations? What were they doing that those who didn't succeed? Um, and I captured those and I put it into this book and it's all about how to become a better negotiator, how to thrive mentally in times of challenge and crisis and uncertainty and it came out in May this year, Sunday Times bestseller so I'm really pleased with how it's gone down. It's called Order Out of Chaos. Yeah, Order Out of Chaos. You brought one copy Mm -hmm. with you Scott, I'm hoping that's for either me or Jojo, you'd prefer the audio book anyway would you? Yeah, much better because I've got better ears than my eyes believe it or not. So no negotiation required for the book. No. However Scott at the risk of detaining you first Joe and I may have issues both in our professional and private lives where we could do with a negotiator. Any chance of mates, rates, or a one-off <laughs> drop-in service? You pay for what you get. Shit, and there's a high no. premium for this level of service. I probably won't give you a call, Scott, if that's right, because you've said you're fine with kidnappers, but shit with teenage kids, and that's where I find my most of my issues negotiating with my kids. Um, but if you're saying there's some crossover in your book... I look forward to listening to it. Thank you very much. Scott, thank you so much for coming on, mate. Cheers. Joe, I hugely enjoyed Scott's company, but I found myself in the course of our conversation thinking he looked very much like Peter Crouch would if Peter Crouch were a national hunt jockey. I thought you're not to speak in the second Okay? So, but yes, I agree with you. He does look like a long, long jockey guy. I find it really, really difficult to still be your kidnapper. So I got the back to me. I agree with you, Tom. Yeah, he was, I loved him. Very calming. He's almost left his calm 
air. His aura. Yes, his 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 aura has been left, and thankfully we didn't put him off with my brown centre. Didn't think so. And he dealt with that nicely. How's your brown centre? It's been a bit uncertain actually. Um, had some had some issues in that aspect over the weekend, which is why that lunch we just had was the first decent lunch I've had for a while. Oh really? Mm. Oh. Well. Do I look drawn? Do I look tired? You look kidnappable. Oh, so I basically I'd fit in a smaller bag than I would have done before last Saturday. Yeah, like a like a Tesco's like a stronger Tesco's holder, not the plastic one, like that's the good. bag for life. Bag for life. No, there, that's still plastic. Oh, the ones that you can basically use for anything, like a Hessian, Hessian, Hessian thack, Hessian thack. Do you think if you were kidnapped, right, would you become friends with your kidnapper? Stockholm syndrome. I, I would. I would struggle not to sort of interview him. I'd struggle. I'd probably take the techniques you've taught me over the years. Just to be, just to find out more. I'd, I'd be fascinated to find out more about them, not just their motives. In fact, I wouldn't really be bothered about the motives. I'd like to know what previous jobs they've done, <laughs> things people did with my kidnapper. <laughs> Should we do a special kidnapper special? Yeah, like only if we have armed guards, they don't kidnap us while we're doing things people did. We got we got guards, but we have to actually get kidnapped as well. So we t- we make sure we're no, we. We won't know when exactly it's going to happen. <gasps> we'll be given a 24-hour period. It's going to happen then. So we've got all our recording equipment, everything, proper mics, the works. We're mic'd up while we're being kidnapped. Yes. You get that muffled sort of, get in the car. Perfect. And they they have to come in, heads over the sacks. So, <laughs> sacks. They want to put your head on over <laughs> the sack. Just, just sacks, left, right and centre. <laughs> Bundle us in the back of a van. It's always bundled, isn't it? Bundled. How else do you put someone in a van? Just push them, couldn't you? You don't push people in a van. Why do they have to be bundled? You've got to get like, their legs over, stuff them in the corner. It's got to be bundled. Mm. Like, look at that bundle of cloves. You don't mm. say, look at that push of cloves. No, that's fair. Well, Joe, he was an excellent guest. And talking about things people did, let's remind everyone the tickets for the actual things people did live at the Clapham Grand are on sale at this exact moment. Joe... We're going to be there every single month talking to fantastic comedians about the jobs they used to do. Joe, how much are tickets? There is no negotiation for this. Non-negotiable tickets are £15. £15 and five pence. So there's no negotiating on that. They're cheap as chips already. And you can find the link for that in the episode description. Joe, I'm sending you free. No, thumbath. Are oh, you the kid? I, I, I set you free when I want to set you free. Am I free? I don't think you need to lisp on the words that don't have an S sound in. Like, well, you don't need to lisp on free. Well, I do because I have a lisp. That's not just my accent. It's my li- I have a speech impediment. So don't fucking mock <laughs> my impediment. I'm kidnapping. I have kidnapped you. If you keep continuing to mock my, mock my lisp, I, I fuck you up. <laughs> you fuck me up. <laughs> you fuck you up. You're going to fuck me up. Just it's not the worst kidnapping. Shut the fuck up. Until I get my 50 million lira, 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 lira. Oh, yeah. I could be a sexy kidnapper. Until I get my 50 million lira. I'm going to fuck you up. Goodbye. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Podcast Network.